0: Welcome to Highly Functioning, a show about exploring, understanding, and optimizing the mind from a non-neurotypical lens. On this episode of Highly Functioning, we covered the importance and implementation of emotions. We talked about how people can refrain from including emotions in their decision-making, the validity of logical and emotional arguments, and taking control of our lives by shaping our view of the world. An important insight we spoke about is giving ourselves the ability to fully feel our emotions, and managing them instead of repressing them or letting them overwhelm you. As always, thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcasting app. Follow us and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash functioning. And if you like our content, consider supporting us at highlyfunctioning.ca. There, you'll find bonus content, Q&As, and be able to provide direct input on how you can change the show. Hey David. Hey. Hey. So I'm uh, really excited today because there's a topic that I've been having um, that I've been having conversations with for about a week or so now um, and that's on hyper-rationality or looking at things that a and I don't I want to delineate between rationality and, and logical but looking at things from a very very rational point of view and sometimes forgetting to take emotions or having emotional detachment from certain conversations um, especially when making decision making and I was hoping we could spend some time talking about why that is might be easier or or good in certain senses but uh, the cons when you're having when you're having conversations in in other areas so and I kept it kind of broad just because I have a general direction where I think I might take this conversation but I wanted to get your take on that
1: Well, so my take is I think going to be very much unexpected because it's a heavily philosophical take actually, right? So I think that viewing it as rationality versus emotion is totally wrong, right? And that there's no such thing as too rational or hyper rational, you want to be fully rational all of the time, but that includes factoring in your emotions, which many people have a difficult time doing, right? And I think that's the key thing. and I think there are many reasons why, and I don't know all of the cultural and philosophical reasons why people think it's emotions or rationality, but there's often this, like, this option proposed. And so people, especially people who care about being right and care about thinking, they tend to choose to dismiss emotions because they think if they pay attention to their emotions, somehow that's not rational. Um, and rationale and logic are also different terms as well, but they're very similar um, and, and both very important, but so that's my initial take. Um,
0: but I understand
1: the kind of typical use of rationality and the idea of being too rational means dismissing emotions, but I don't like conflating those two. I think it's really bad to dismiss as emotions and we can talk about that, but I still think you should be 100% rational all of the time.
0: So let me phrase it this way, because I, I think I made it uh, when initially talking about it, not said it so well in that I also get it like a pyramid, right? Where I look at rational as what you want to go ahead and be all the time, like you mentioned. And I see that there's two fundamental tenets underneath it, which is um, there's emotion as well as there's logic. And when you bring those two things together is when you are a rational human being, when you can look at the logic and the emotion together. And I find personally it has been a lot easier for me to be very logical in making decisions. And I, and I went the exact direction that you talked about, which is that always apply logic to everything. Everything is like, um, everything is a a range of benefits costs. It's like a very almost like financial or or quantitative decision. Um, And until recently I realized that I was very much letting go of the emotional side and that needs to be taken in as a variable when making your rational decisions, because that's important as a human being. And I was hoping we could talk about, especially maybe not so much now, but in the past, how being overly logical has helped in a lot of, I guess, decisions when it comes to your, um, when it comes to like self-improvement things like that, but not so much uh, when it comes to like the emotional side of who you are, how you can progress, as well as having conversations like that with other people.
1: Yeah, so I want to. I'll try not get caught up on terms because this is very much on the fringe of like where I want to be really particular in my terms. Um, but I understand where we're aiming at, and I think, yeah, absolutely. I was someone who totally picked rationality over emotions, right, uh, or logic over emotions. Um, and there's this, you know, in objectivism they call it rationalism, which is. Uh, rational, which is logic detached from facts even, just like trying to build castles in the air in your mind and thinking if you can connect it all, then it must be true despite the facts. And I think that is how people tend to also dismiss emotions. Like, well, according to this, I should feel a certain way, but I don't feel that way. So clearly my emotion is wrong. And that's totally the wrong approach. Emotions are valid. That doesn't mean they're Based on right premises, right? But an emotion is a fact. It's a fact about how you feel about something. Your assessment of that thing d- isn't necessarily true, but the fact that you feel it is, and that's the key thing that people have to understand. Um, that I that I had a. Lo- it took me a long time to understand. Is any emotion I feel is valid? That is me reacting to something. And I have to, the only way I could even change that and become more rational in my emotions is by first taking for granted, I feel this way, it's valid to feel this way, and then go from there. Whereas a lot of people, you know, your emotions are based on your kind of deepest value judgments and and you don't necessarily know what all of those are unless you've spent the time to really understand them. And so what happens is they can be at odds with your conscious convictions. um, And then it feels like there's a disconnect, but your emotions will change as your values change and as you understand them and it's work, you can't like reach directly into your mind and change your values. But over time you can, and you can react differently to things. And I'm sure, for example, I don't like ice cream anymore. That's a simple one, but I used to get excited about ice cream. And now I've, show, I've trained myself over time to not have it as a value. And so my emotions have changed. Um, so that's what comes up uh, initially. So, I'm not sure how, what, what path you want to take on this topic.
0: So I love this because I had a conversation where someone said it's, um, and it talks about invalidating people's feelings and sort of in that realm. Um, and it's about the fact that like, the, one of the arguments that the person had made was that you're, you can't tell someone how to feel. And what I think is the way in which that said might be easily um, looked at as being correct, but I think the way that it's used might be wrong in that you can't like someone, like you said, someone feeling something is like you felt that thing, that's true, like that is what you're feeling but I mean, you have the ability to change the way that you intake information so that the way that you feel changes. And right. a lot of the time, people don't understand that. It's that if something is makes me mad, then it is wrong and it is, I'm being mad, so therefore it is wrong. Where I'm saying the same way you can tell someone to look at something as glass half full and when something bad happens, you look at it and be like, oh, it's a positive emotion. You can do the same thing Um, And that's not telling someone how to feel that's telling someone how to intake information. And I was wondering if you had any, had any insight on whether and where you've seen that be the case or things like that, especially on your emotional journey.
1: Yeah. And I think that problem is the opposite side of the problem I highlighted at the start of like, there's no such thing as too rational, but people also think, no, but my emotions matter. So like, they're just valid as such. Right. And it's like, no, you have to understand the full context. And what was really, so, you know, I only started to explore my emotions at all when I hit rock bottom depressed, right? And I actually uh, happened upon a book through a secondhand recommendation um, called The Happiness Advantage. And it's a positive psychology book for business, how to get your employees to be happier. I read it, it had some kind of like tasks you could do. It had like seven recommendations and I gave it a try right? Because the principle was, you know, I'm in control of my mind. And, and I can be happier, I can train my brain to be happier. I liked the idea of that I liked, at the time, I felt very much sort of out of control in my mind. But I always knew like, it's my mind, if if anyone can handle it, it's me, right. Um, And so and I was just, I was just floored at how well it worked. I couldn't believe how well it worked, and it's just training myself to be happier, right? And I think I don't—I haven't done any formal like cognitive behavioral behavioral therapy or a, a dialectic behavioral behavioral therapy, but I think those are in line with the same thing. And it's very much there's also something I have done called behavioral activation, and it's very much this idea of train yourself to be better, right? And that's the thing is people i don't think the average person understands enough how much in control of their life they are i wasn't in control of my life at all until i was about 25 but then i realized i'm in total control my control was a bit different than average uh and we can get into that some other time but i decide what i'm paying attention to i decide what i'm feeding my brain and if I want to train it in a certain way, I just have to feed it the right data, right? Um, and I did that both with the happiness advantage and training myself to be happier. And it, the, the one example I love telling um, is there's this thing called counterfacts. And so the premise is, you know, if I say you're in a bank, there's 50 people there, someone comes in and shoots one shot with a gun and shoots one shot off and it hits you in the shoulder, is that good luck? or bad luck. Some people say it's good luck because thank God no one died. Thank God it was only the shoulder. Some people say it was bad luck. Oh, out of all of the people I got hit, but those are both adding additional context to the situation and people often do that, right? People often add, oh, like, oh, but what if scenarios to what happens in reality? And you can actually train yourself to be more positive by training the counterfacts and so if you actually when you whenever you start to notice you can just give yourself no how could this situation be worse and if you consistently look at how it could be worse you'll see it as better right and it's very much that type of perspective and the one i did was funny but worked surprisingly well i would literally just remind myself at least it's not an alligator mm-hmm. because i was at my cottage sitting on a boat and i got scared by a snake or a frog or something and i was like And then I thought, at least it's not an alligator. And I laughed. but then I started to do that all of the time. It was like, I was in traffic, at least it's not an alligator. And then I think, oh man, if there was an alligator crossing the street right now, this would be way worse. And it sounds funny, but it was really powerful. And like, I was in a depression, right? I was really low and this helped me get out of it. It wasn't the only thing, but it was so powerful. And there's many other things um, you know, I'm obsessed with what's called psychoepistemology, which is the training of your subconscious, right? Because that's what it's, you don't choose your emotions, but it's, it's an automatic reaction. And you can train that through repetition through data and stuff. And so I've just been so impressed at how much, because I've decided to be happier, I've decided to be different, how much of an ability I actually have to do that. It's my mind in my control.
0: And so on that, I love the way that you play, uh, I love the way that you say that in that I look at your emotions almost like a symptom and it is a symptom to sort of data or facts that you, that you take in from your outside surroundings. And you can, like you said, as your counterfacts, you can give, add more contacts, add more facts around you. And what you can train yourself to do is based off of that emotion, you can look back and be like, okay, what is the fundamental problem or what is the fundamental action that's going on? And I can change how I take, how I understand that action to be to be working. And one of the things that I think is important to know is I have that same exact fundamental belief with the idea that I might have Asperger's. Right, in that I don't think it's impossible. And I think when we initially started this podcast, we talked about that and that it's not an excuse. All it means that it is that it might be much more difficult. And for me, it's very easy to look on that logical realm or or be able to look at things from a very unemotionally un- detached view. But with practice, with repetition, that might be more repetition than someone else, I can still get there. It just needs to be much more of a focused effort. And I'm probably gonna make a few more mistakes. And I need people around me to be like, look, look it's okay, it's fine. And not push me into the negative loop of just being completely like feeling down on myself, feeling like I can never actually be able to be a functioning human being.
1: Yeah. And so <laughs> that's true. Um, and I, uh, so I, think three things come to mind. We'll see if I can hold all of them in my head. One is emotions are what make life worth living, right? Happiness is an emotion. Happiness is your happiness is the point of your life, is the purpose of your life in my view. Right. Um, And there's many other things that go into what happiness actually is. It's not just pleasure seeking and these sorts of things, but the less attached you are to your emotions generally, the less attached you are to happiness as well and positive emotions. And people often focus on like negative emotions and understanding the world, but they go hand in hand, right? So, you know, the typical example is a deep loss of a deep loss uh, and feeling of sadness when a loved one passes away or dumps you or whatever is a corollary of the fact that you loved them and had massive positive feelings. And so it's really important that people who aren't as in touch with their emotions can't be as happy, right? That's because happiness is an emotion and it's so important. Um, And I think the other thing to highlight around the rational, aspect and like the training of the mind you don't want to be fully subjective and just throwing out random thoughts all the time to pretend things are better than they are that's a tool to get out of a funk right the the real thing is you have to look at life objectively and i mean most people that are listening to this objectively in the full context their lives are pretty good right relative to human history relative to people in the world right now And so it's important to hold that context. And you also see a lot of people now so focused on all of the things that are wrong in their life. And I'm not saying you dismiss them, but also letting those control your emotional life lets you less able to deal with them as well. Um, And the, the third thing I'll add, which is particularly, wait, there's two more things. But the third thing I'll add, which is particularly relevant to you and this podcast is actually a conversation I had with my psychiatrist so, I did a three week mental health program at Northrop General Hospital. And, you know, I was asking her about the depths of my anxiety, the depths of my depression. And I asked her, well, in theory, I'm more down this pathway because of the power of my mind. And so it would be the same strength that would get me out of it. Right. So, it's not that you have a harder time than average because you've gone a certain, you've gone further down your road because of the strength of your mind down the rational pathway. But once you learn how to turn that around, you'll be that equally that much stronger at the new process as you were at the rational process, right? So it's it's not, I think people have this idea, especially if they're like very rational or they feel like they're too disconnected from their emotions, like, oh, it'll be a real slog. But it's like, your own, like, I don't know, you've dug the ditch with your own strength so you can fill it up at the same rate, right? It's not that you, you that. can't dig yourself into too deep of a hole that you can't get out of. And there's a really good segment in Rick and Morty when Rick goes to therapy that very much hits on this as well, um, which I would encourage people to check out. Uh, it's in the Pickle Rick episode. Um,
0: <laughs> and then the last thing?
1: Uh, I lost the last thing, but um oh the last thing is also what i've kind of been obsessed with recently is the mind body connection because emotions are embodied emotions have physical sensations associated with them and that is what changed my life is actually understanding how to feel them properly because i had never felt them before really I had only ever been emotional when it overwhelmed me and overwhelmed my mind. But through Buddhism, in particular, meditation practices, and also some other places, it teaches you to actually pay close attention to your bodily sensations. And that's, again, just mental effort, training, training my mind to pay attention. And then I did what I would recommend literally everyone do, a 10-day meditation retreat with the Vipassana meditation technique, which literally teaches you how to feel your whole body, how to actually pay attention to it and scan it. And maybe like I managed to do it really well in 10 days, the average person doesn't. And that again comes down to like the strength of will and how well your mind is, uh, how good your mind is at applying principles and theories. But it's, it's literally life-changing because really what happens, there's like this theory of emotions, which has many parallels, both in objectivism and elsewhere. It's like, you know, something happens, then you receive that signal, then you evaluate it. No, you identify it, you evaluate it, and then you react. And between the identification and the evaluation or between the evaluation and the reaction is a bodily sensation. And if you teach your minds to primarily pay attention to that, you can stop the automatic reaction because you're instead of being just paying attention to what's going on, you're paying attention to your reaction to what's going on. And so when you feel the reaction, you can take a pause, pay attention. Is it the right reaction? How do I feel about this? And they say you don't react, you respond. You can much more consciously decide how to behave. And that's also hugely impactful on relationships, on dynamics, on being compassionate. And it's um, and so I think a lot of people have only an, in, it's like the people are of one of two minds. They have the rational and intellectual view of emotions, or they have that deep kind of bodily relation with their emotions. And they then see have a disconnect from the intellectual aspect of it. And having both is what makes you a self-actualized magical human being or whatever. And I think it's really interesting and important to try and understand how to get people who've had almost no relationship with their bodily sensations to have that. Cause that is a, at least for me, and I think broadly a key thing about really understanding emotions.
0: And I like how you put that especially because I think sometimes when I'm not, of course, uh, the, like I haven't been on a 10 day meditation retreat or things, but sometimes people look at me like, Oh, like, how are you not able to get mad at this or upset by this? And of course, like everybody else, I get upset as well. Um, the only difference is there are times in which I'm like, this is, there's something more that I want to get done here. There's something that is more important. And when I see myself getting angry, I either, like I do one of two things, which is I see that I feel it. And then I'd be like, okay, cool, don't get angry. This is the wrong time to get angry. Or I and to, I go and disconnect because I know that I'm feeling it. I just don't, I, I tend to respond to that emotion. doesn't mean that you don't feel it. It just means that you don't let it take control of you. And you don't want to be that person that just gets absolutely like blows their top in terms of getting angry or blows their top in any direction. It's okay, even in happy emotions, am I incredibly content? I look at this and go, yes. And I go, okay, like what situation am I in? Is there something else um, that I need to be doing? And if not, then I'm like, absolutely. Like, let me feel this amazing content- contentness for the longest that I can. Um, but I always tend to try and respond as opposed to react. Um, and it takes a while to go ahead and do that. And sometimes you do it the wrong way. Or to your to your earlier point, because I know you talked, talked a bit about it, is that like, if you find someone that has passed away, it's important to mo- mourn. You should mourn. But you should look at the situation, be like, I feel sad, but there is someone else, some someone else or something else I need to be doing. There's responsibilities that I have. Let me take care of them and then mourn because that's important. Don't just take that emotion and throw it away. It just means be conscious about when you're responding to that. And And I think Go ahead. I think um, one of the things that I that is difficult for people who might be hyper rational or hyper sorry hyper, uh, hyper logical, uh, per se, is that sometimes society, uh, sometimes society looks at that and goes like, that's great, that's good. And you get this positive feedback of being like, oh, you can look at everything super objectively. But um, when you sort of like drink your own Kool-Aid, you find a little bit later that you're unhappy because you haven't looked at any of the emotional side. And that can be quite difficult um, when you think about your mental health and, and so on and so forth.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm interested because I, I can very much talk to my experience in that on that last point. But I'm also interested when you have these emotions, do you feel them in your body as sensations? Because there's also people who very much feel them intellectually. They're very like, I can feel my emotions in my mind. I know exactly what they are. And it's but it's not I don't actually have always the physical sensation in my body. So I'm interested to know your experience of those emotions.
0: Well, I I don't know if I've paid enough attention to it. And I think that's possibly why that like 10 day meditation retreat would be great. But there are, there are moments in which you can feel yourself heating up or like your muscles tensing up and things like that when you feel angry. And I think anger is the easiest emotion to identify or or sadness in that like little turning in your stomach or like anxiety, which is another one that you feel really easily. Um, But on, on that note, one of the things that I'd be really curious to know is that when you go on that Vipassana meditation retreat, and being someone who is much more inclined to be logical. Um, During the beginning, did you think, oh man, like this is a waste of time, what am I doing? I could be using this time for something else. And how did you get out of that um, and start to think about things from an emotional point of view? Or were you just so like depressed or, or, and I don't know your story, right? And I'd like to hear it, that you just went, you know what, I'm willing to try anything because I just hope something
1: works. So there's a couple key things that are important. One, in terms of my background, generally, the reason I have a unique perspective overall is because I was both, let's call it hyper-rational, quote unquote, and hyper-emotional, but I was totally disconnected from my emotions, but I was so anxious that they were always there and they would just explode. So I had a lot of emotional explosions, um, but I never paid attention to my emotions at all until they overwhelmed me. And so I I have a very interesting and as far as I understand unique relationship with my emotions historically. Um, When I did the Vipassana retreat, I wasn't in a depression and they very much say like you should not use this as a cure for mental health issues or whatever. Um, They say you should, like the goal when someone goes to this retreat and there's like a bunch of philosophical issues and these sorts of things, but the goal of going to this retreat is the eradication of suffering. You should only go there if you're trying to reach enlightenment and have the eradication of suffering Um, and so it's not an excuse it's not a way to get out of depression or whatever but they say very much there's a common pattern when people are there for the first time right so day one it's exciting you're kind of paying attention to your breathing and stuff Um, and then day two is miserable for everyone day two is like why am i still here it's like the longest 10 days of your life right but it also is so cool because then it lets all of life go by slower, right? You get to live, right? Because the more present you are, the longer life lasts, right? Um, like life is this moment, right? Um, but in terms of what it was like for me actually choosing to go, I had been meditating by that point for well over a year, maybe almost probably about two full years in what I had thought was Vipassana because I had read about Vipassana in Eat, Pray, Love, which I think Eat, Pray, Love is a super important book or it's a very good book for people to read, to understand how to be compassionate with themselves um, and actually allow themselves to like have an intellectual discussion with their own emotions. Um, But so I used to just sit and meditate and not do anything. Like I would just sit motionless for two hours sometimes, right, because I didn't, and it was only, sometimes I'd like use a mantra or whatever when my mind was too ramped up, but I had thought I was doing it anyways. It turns out Vipassana is not literally just sitting there doing nothing. It looks like that, but it's something else. Um, but when I went, I had been looking for a med- I had had it on my to-do list for a while, like meditation retreat. Um, and then someone mentioned, this is a free retreat. It's a free 10 day, like all inclusive meditation retreat. And so when I went, I was like, no, I want to try this, right? Like, I I know how beneficial meditation has been to my life. It changed my life. Um, It's the one thing that helped with what I would label my Asperger's, right? Like, it's the only thing that actually helped. And I was like, I really want to try this. It's free. And this is uh, the technique that I liked the best, even though I didn't know exactly what it was. Um, And then I just had... It was so cool. Like it was difficult at times and you want to, your mind wants information, right? You're basically feeding almost nothing to your mind for 10 days as you're working to empty it. Right. And it's so cool and so bizarre. And it was just the most interesting. I had such intense psychological experiences. It was like the coolest thing ever. And I just became interested in it. But then you get distracted and it's like, well, no, but now you're, just, you're not actually accomplishing the goal anymore if you're now playing games in your mind or whatever. And they call attention to that too. Um, but yeah, so like I went because I wanted to just learn meditation more and it seemed like a good opportunity. And then by coincidence, the reasons they explain that it's the best meditation technique fully integrate with my understanding of the mind and all of the work I've done, generally speaking. Um, and yeah, I don't know if there's any other questions on that, uh, but that's kind of the broad picture of it all, I suppose. Okay.
0: And so I guess to end off, cause we're getting closer, closer to time. Um, I thought we could potentially go through and talk about, are there any experiences that you've had in which that hyperlogical sense, has been very clearly understood to you as probably not the best best approach to thinking about certain problems? Um, and can you think of a flip side in terms of um, how being maybe hyper emotional in that sense is probably not the best, best view in either?
1: Well, so because of my particular uh, experience, when the two both happened was the problem. I was hyper rational when I was hyper emotional, right? that like I'd get triggered into these anxious states where you're like fight or flight mode. And I would try and like obsessively logic uncontrollably for hours. Right. And so it was both happening at the same time for me um, when it would kind of like explode. And I mean, most often it was for me with uh, with like relationships because I had basically no knowledge of my own mind. I had no ability to kind of introspect and understand why I was thinking what I was thinking. I knew what I was thinking was right based on everything I knew, but I didn't know why and I couldn't ask that question. And so when I was dealing with with other people, I was just like, I insulted them if that was just what I felt. Like this is just what I think, so I'm telling you because that's what communication is or whatever. So it used to, I was like known as the guy who was bluntly honest, who burned bridges, Like, how do I tell you I don't wanna be friends with you anymore? I just tell you, right? Like I just say, hey, I don't wanna be your friend anymore, just so you know. But then the flip side, if someone stopped talking to me, I'd obsessively message them until they told me explicitly that they're not talking to me anymore. And then I'd want to know why if they refuse to tell me that's fine. But like just recently I messaged someone probably for the 30th time uh, that they've not messaged me back Uh, maybe not 30th, 10th. And I just said, like, should I stop messaging you? And they said that would be appropriate. And and so it's like- You're like, yep, okay. Okay, right. But to me, it's like when these thoughts come up, I wanna know and stuff. And so that's very much, it happens more when I'm disconnected from my own emotions. Because when I know that I'm like sad about losing this friend and how I like made mistakes, I can kind of understand it and let it go more easily, but when I'm not connected to the emotions, then I need to solve the problem still, right? I just need to know the answer, but like in reality, the answer is probably pretty obvious and it doesn't actually matter to my life, right? It doesn't make a significant difference one way or the other, but it's hard for me to recognize that when I'm not connected to my emotions. In terms of being overly emotional, and having that other like extreme, Um, you know, it it happened when I was depressed, right? So that's what depression is, right? Your sadness takes total control and no matter how much I know things, it doesn't matter, right? And that then gets frustrating because people try to explain to you logically why you shouldn't be sad. And it's like, I know all of this, I know it better than you, but it doesn't matter because my emotions are in control right now but it was almost as if I had to feel 20 years of emotions over one year because I had pushed them away for so long. And like the body remembers or whatever it is. Um, in terms of like a more specific example, I, I, none come to mind, but I'm sure they happen. But what I think you'll find really fascinating is in the actual meditation retreat, I had these really intense experiences of being nothing but a pure emotion. Mm-hmm. So it was it was literally like the emotion took over my entire consciousness and I was like sitting in a meditation cell, shaking in rage. And I couldn't, like I was rage. And I had that similar experience with a few other negative emotions. And it felt like when that emotion got released, it was like, a lifelong tension was released, and I'll never have to feel that way again. It was very bizarre, and I had that with hatred, with anger, with schadenfreude, and with one other emotion, I think, Um, I forget which. But like, so that's when, like that was literally an emotion taking over my entire consciousness, and it was so bizarre and cool.
0: And so I wanna give an example, but what you said there is really interesting that I wanna pry into that a little bit more because the way I understand that is that it's not really bad to be emotional um, in that specific context. It's just that you've chosen that this is a place for me to go ahead and do that so that I can go ahead and release. Because we talked about a little bit earlier about like reasoning and being able to um, it's not react, but be, be able to respond. And this was a situation in which you're like in this meditation cell that I'm in, I am going to respond to these emotions and allow myself to go ahead and feel them. But you wouldn't say that, that just being anger would be a good
1: thing to be doing just in a general situation. No. So I didn't choose it. It just happened. Like it, it just got triggered in my experience. Right. It was very bizarre. Um, And did you let that go because of the fact that this
0: was a specific environment to, to feel that emotion. Whereas if you were like, at the cash register, you probably wouldn't just be like, I'm going to be absolute rage right now.
1: Well, you don't want to act out the rage, but you could feel it, right? Like it was a very proud moment for me the first time I went to work, really upset. Because normally in a depressive state, you just throw away everything. I can't feel this way in public. But what a compassionate relationship is, what good friends are, no matter what mood you're in, you can be in that mood with them. And so it was really good to be able to go to work and be with a friend while I was sad deeply sad and upset about things that were going on and so like that's the difference is you can let the feeling in and you can hold it and that's really powerful right and you have to know what your limits are if you're really angry and on edge you don't want to explode but there's something to be said in fully letting yourself feel it the more you delay it emotions happen and it's not like you can necessarily put a pin in it and it will come back in full strength later. And like, I think it is important to really feel the emotions as they come up. And that, again, helps you, I think, overall be more logical, more rational, when you're actually paying attention to the emotions and where they come from. Because there's theories that also say paying attention to them, and you almost talk to your emotions and ask them where they come from. And it's not like a literal conversation necessarily, but it's, the emotions are in your mind, they come from your values. And so it's important to let them manifest and then you can actually have a better conversation with them. Um, and so I do think it's important to let the emotions come up. And that's what I'm struggling with right now generally is my go-to was anxiety. So it was like, and I started to notice my patterns of behavior is something would make me upset. I'd get really anxious first, when I'd eventually worked through the anxiety, I'd become really depressed. Mm-hmm. Then once I got through the depression, I could deal with whatever the underlying issue was. Um, and it's, so my, my hyper-rationality, quote unquote, was my defense mechanism. Because if, if I can solve the problem, then I don't have to feel the emotion because it'll just go away because the problem will be solved. But, like, but the emotion already happened. The emotion was to the situation that happened. Even if the situation then changes, I still there was a situation that made a certain feeling and I think it's so important to fully feel that to fully feel the emotions. Um,
0: So it's important important to it's important to do both right like make sure that you feel that emotion and allow yourself to to feel um, but also get rid of that underlying problem that causes that that emotion to continually happen over and over again.
1: Yeah and that can be a long process right and Mm -hmm. one thing that comes to mind uh, you know you talk about mourning and I think yeah, there's something to be said like when someone passes away, you have to like deal with stuff, funeral arrangements, estate, and you can't just be a like a, a ball of blubber for a month or a year after someone dies. But if that's what you need to do, you have to let that happen sometimes, right? Maybe for 2 hours every day, you're an uncontrollable mess. If that's what you need, that's what you need and you can work so the next time that doesn't happen, But to deny yourself that isn't good either, right? And so there has to be a proper balance. Um, And you, again, you can't let your emotions detract from your life, but your emotions are an important part of your life. And I think too often people think it's one or the other, and it's not. It has to be both. And at least the way I understand it, I think this is me picking a little in that, if like
0: the two years, like you needing to be a ball of blubber, as you put it, I think there's also a nuance there that we talked about a little bit earlier and making sure that you include things like counterfacts and things like that so that you aren't just um, almost getting into this depressive cycle of um, like not woe is me per se, but it's looking at it consistently as in the banker example, where why was I one of 50? You should be able to use counterfacts to get you out of that as well, but that doesn't mean just completely dismiss it in general.
1: Yeah, and I think there's an even deeper thing there. It makes me think of The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand. There's this really powerful sentiment in it. The main character talks about how the pain only goes down so far. So you can fully feel the pain, but it doesn't reach the depths of your soul. Right, And so you still are fundamentally happy. You fundamentally know life is worth living, but you can still feel the total sadness, but it's not destructive. And people think, again, it's one or the other. And I was having a conversation with the lady I work with, and I don't know what her situation was, but she talked about how that, was, that quote from, uh, from the book was so powerful because there was something devastating going on in her life. And she could know that the rest of life is still good. It doesn't detract from the sadness and the importance of the sad thing, but it doesn't cloud your judgment of the world as such. And so it's really about fully feeling it, but not having it overwhelm your entire self because you're multifaceted, life is multifaceted. And so it's again, this balance, right? and I think that's really powerful. And I think there is, again, this tendency for people to believe, oh, if it doesn't go down fully, then you're not fully feeling it. And it's, it's more nuanced than that. It's like life is good. Bad things happen. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a fundamental view of the world. Ayn Rand calls it the benevolent universe premise. And then some people have the malevolent universe premise: the world is bad, and good things are fleeting, right? But if you really think life is good, the world is good. That's your kind of. That's your emotional climate. You still want to feel the storm when it comes, but it doesn't change the climate. Um, and I think I think that's that's really important, right? And the way you actually achieve that in your own life is through that bodily connection. In my experience of being grounded because like your mind can be taken over by grief and emotions much more easily and readily because you only have a limited amount of focus, right? But your body is still in its life. It's still like in the world. And so it's, I haven't thought this out fully, but I think it's something important in that thread.
0: So I don't think there's any better way to, to end it than on, than on that note. Um, but any, because cl- I can totally see this being another episode in the future as we think through this and then uh, have it rattle a little bit in our brains. Uh, but is there any closing, small closing thoughts that you want to go before we wrap this up?
1: I had one last thought on this example of the pain only goes down so far, but I can't remember it and it's uh, upsetting me. But next time. <laughs>
0: Awesome. Um, I'm generally glad that we that we had this conversation because I think sometimes it's hard um, not to be able to look at look hard at look hard back at yourself and be and find that whatever edge of that spectrum that you're on, being that hyper emotional or hyper logical person, there's a there's a middle ground there that is is important to go ahead and hit. Um, and there's, of course, we're talking about our minds here and we're talking about the way in which you feel and the differences between each human being. So there's, there's, there's nuances and this personal journey that has to go there. And I think we talked a lot about a lot there and um, it's gonna be cool
1: to you know, dive into that a little bit deeper. Can I add something? Sure, all right, go ahead. For our audience, I think there's a tendency to think I can train my brain to do any intellectual goals possible. But I need to posit to them, I need to advocate that that is true with emotions. It's going to be harder for the average person, but you have just as much intellectual control over having a proper relationship with your emotions.
0: Boom. There we go. All right, David. Good seeing you, man.